Beautiful. Good evening. Today is November 21st, 2023. We are studying the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This week's chapter is chapter one, Bill's story. And our speaker tonight is Lisa B. Thank you, Lisa. Hi, everybody. Hi there. Um, my name is Lisa, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And I'm here in um, the Greenville area of South Carolina. Thank you so much for asking me to be here. Um, my recovery date, uh, it'll be by God's grace and good sponsorship and the 12 steps, uh, eight years in January. And um, I was asked to share my experience, strength, and hope on the chapter called Bill's story. And I really have been praying about this. <laughs> um, so what I have felt led to do is read the chapter again, which I've done many times and then pick out some of my favorite passages and share my experience and how, how I identified with those. And, you know, I was taught when I was going through this chapter with my sponsor that I needed to identify in with Bill. Uh, you guys have all probably heard this saying, you know, did I think like Bill thought? Did I feel like Bill felt? Did I eat like Bill drank? And uh, when I started reading the chapter, one of the things that jumped out for me is he talks about out of this alloy. And, you know, that word alloy, which means one metal when combined with another metal becomes even more powerful. For, so for him, it was drink and speculation combined together. So for me, my appearance, what you thought of me, and compulsive eating, compulsive exercise, compulsive restricting, was the out the two alloys together that really formed a bond that became so devastating for me. And that was mostly, I noticed that in my college years. So when I would talk to people, I would look at their face and I would look for signs of approval or disapproval like that was my life what you thought of me and I had a hyper focus on my body and my appearance and magazine covers those were like the people you know that I worshipped and it became um well, it's all about selfishness self-absorption and I also started stealing and being very dishonest um to support and manage my image and then he talks about for the next few years, fortune through money and applause his way. And, you know, when I was younger, I didn't get recovered until I was 52. And um, so really youth and vitality supported me in so many ways with this disease. With this disease, you know, we're taught that it's like being beaten to death by a rabbit kicking us you know it's very subtle it's very insidious but the, the scary thing with this disease is um i may live a very very long time it's not like drugs and alcohol necessarily you know although other people might have had different experiences but for me my youth my vitality um it really perpetuated a strong self-reliance that i could figure it out well i could just skip more meals or exercise more. But as I got into, especially my 50s, but really starting in my 40s, my body started to break down 
with um, injuries from compulsive exercise and really the crazy mania in my head. You know, what brought me to my bottom was really the emotional and spiritual bankruptcy. I felt like I was going to have to um, go on some serious medications in order just to function in life. And all of that is being an untreated compulsive overeater. So really, once I got into my 50s, I could not diet and restrict the way I used to. I couldn't exercise anymore the way I used to because of the injuries. And it brought me to my bottom. Um, Bill talks about liquor ceasing to be a luxury for me. Once the thought was there that I needed to binge, overeat, I had no choice but to listen to that thought. And that drove me to eating burnt food, food that really had no taste, eating when I didn't want to eat, eating when I wasn't even tasting the food anymore, eating when I was in pain in my, my stomach, um, you know, throwing things out and then going back into the garbage for it. And I remember being in my apartment and walking out to the dumpster, throwing it way up high over the wall of that dumpster and you know what? Who knows? Maybe one day I would have climbed up into that dumpster <laughs> to get it. Or I just probably would have gone out at an insane hour to get the food. But food ceased to be a luxury. Um, it was a requirement. You know, it wasn't Godiva chocolate anymore and my favorite things. It was really anything. Um, and then he talks about meeting Dr. Silkworth. Self-knowledge was the answer. Uh, well, I'm sure you all identify. I mean, I have a bookshelf back here, but I cleaned it out over the years. <laughs> all the self-help books, therapy, you know, spirituality, prayer, meditation, all these things are very good. I learned very good things, <laughs> very helpful things that sometimes still help me today. But none of that was the answer. I was convinced that if I could just solve what happened to me maybe as a child, maybe something happened to me that I just don't know about that. I'm that I've blocked out, you know, um, maybe, 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 maybe all of that, you know, self-knowledge was the answer. If I could just understand myself and, you know, that's all based in again, that self-reliance. And then he talks about step one on page eight. Well, I have it written in my book. It's step one. It doesn't identify it as step one, but loneliness and despair, you know, that's really Bill's step one experience. So for me, my step one experience is compulsively overeating, undereating, compulsive exercise, and also the whole combination of my alcoholic ingredients and foods and my food behaviors. All of that was my master. But guess what? On that same page, he talks about the solution, but better yet, and this is what has just become my heart today it's the result of the solution and that is happiness peace usefulness a way of life that is incredibly wonderful more and more as time passes isn't that amazing it's not too good to be true it's real that is my life today that's the solution you know hidden in that solution is really about being reborn and having a relationship with my creator but it doesn't say that, but that's the solution of the 12 steps. I love on page 11, when Bill talks about seeing Ebby 
And he says that it's like he had been raised from the dead. And I wrote in my notes here, reborn, regenerated to a level better than the best he had known. That's also part of the solution. He had been reborn. You know, the same sick mind that brings me into these rooms can't be the same mind that's there today. I need a brain transplant. I need a personality transplant. Do you know, in the back of our big book, it talks about the spiritual awakening. And, oh, I think it's either there or the AA 12 and 12. But it talks about a spiritual awakening, a personality change. Guess what? My personality is the problem. <laughs> that was great for me to see that. You know, I always used to like my personality. I always thought, oh, I'm easygoing, outgoing. But interwoven in all of that is the deceit, the self-seeking, the dishonesty, the self-pity, the fear that ruled my life. And, you know, even in that personality that I thought I liked, it's very manipulative all to try and get you to like me. Because remember, I told you in the very beginning, it's what you think of me that is the most important thing. He talks about how Ebby was more than inwardly reorganized. He was on a different footing. His roots grafts new soil. I don't, I wish I could just scream this in like five different languages. It makes my heart sing. I wanted that my whole life. I wanted that my whole life. I can remember being five years old and looking around or maybe, I don't know, maybe seven. I don't know how old, but thinking, I don't think I'm going to really like this whole setup of things. I, I really don't like this. I needed to be reorganized so that I would have new soil. Today, I have new soil. So grateful. And then it talks about Ah, I love this. Page 13. This is a really important page. It's Bill's version of step three. He talks about the worldly clamors. You know that for a moment he wanted God, but the worldly clamors called him. You know, today that's so much a part of my prayer life. Please, God, save me. Help me to not let these worldly clamors be so loud. They're calling me away from you. Um. I want to go to that page. I just love it. You know, when, when I work with fellows, I always encourage them really to use these prayers because he says, I place myself unreservedly under his care and direction. I admitted for the first time that of myself, I was nothing without him. That's my heart today. Without him, I'm lost. So I, I really love that. You know, for so many years, I worshiped myself. That was my, my higher power. I worshiped myself. Um, he talks about, oh, Ebby says to him, you know, that when these things are done, this is a program of action. This is action, action, action. We can't sit there and like try and figure all this out. We've got to get into action, even when we don't feel like it, even when we don't understand it, even if we're not feeling any different, we have to keep doing the action steps. And it says, once these things are done, I would enter upon a new relationship with him, my creator. I call him my Lord, my God, my savior, my redeemer. I would have the elements of a way of life and a way of living that answered all my problems. It's really not about eating. 
But, you know, in the beginning, it is about eating. It's really not about the food, but in the beginning, it really is about the food because I need that entire abstinence. You know, I minimized and I rationalized for 23 years. I went to treatment in 1987 when I was 24 years old because I could not stop binge eating. I was so grateful to be in those four walls and in that facility that taught me about the big book and the doctor's opinion. But I began to worship the food plan and I didn't understand that I am a ticking time bomb. That if I don't have this spiritual awakening and that personality change as a result of the steps, my mind, which is the greater aspect of this disease, is going to take me right back into the food. And that's what happened. It took five years. It was a white knuckle abstinence. Part of that cushioning the fall was I met my beautiful husband, who I'm still married to now, thank God. But I met him that kind of buffered a lot of the denial, but I ended up back into the food. See, I thought if I just met a man that loved me, you know, all my problems would be solved. Huge responsibility to put on my husband. But I ended up back in the food because I didn't get into these steps like my life depended on it. And I didn't have a a strong program of action, like a meeting that helped me understand where there were a whole bunch of recovered fellows like I have now. So then after I ended up back in the food for 23 years until um, 2015, when I found my, my home group called A Vision For You, and I got on that meeting, I started hearing recovered fellows. And I, I started working with my sponsor in January of 2016. She helped me understand these words that this is, I have to take it with the same seriousness as a drug addict or alcoholic. You know, I used to minimize, well, I don't binge on whatever condiment, but it had my alcoholic ingredient in there. It doesn't matter. I don't have it. And I said, well, I don't binge on it. You know, those are the kind of stupid arguments that I would have. But when I finally became willing to do whatever she said she did, because I wanted what she had. And when I began willing to unpack the doctor's opinion and understand abstinence, that's when life got better. I had to have entire abstinence to understand these words in Bill's story. He talks about on page 14, destruction of self-centeredness. That is the root of my problem. And then failing to enlarge and perfect my spiritual life through self-sacrifice. I need to be inconvenienced. For others, um, it's gonna, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be in trouble. So I wrote down obedience, being disciplined and surrendered and submitting. You know, all of those four-letter words that we don't like. I have to continue to grow in my spirituality because my ego regenerates and it grows. It grows. It continues on. I wrote on page 16, an alcoholic in his cups is an unlovely creature. The self-pity was unbelievable and can still be unbelievable today, but it's very short-lived. I don't live in the bedevilments for long periods of time, but it can come back. And thank God for my steps my co-fellows, my relationship with my creator, the lover of my soul who knitted me in my mother's womb, who knows me and loves me and whom I have a relationship with saves me. Faith has to work 24 hours a day in and through us or we perish. How much more time do I have? <laughs> okay. Um, 
So I have gone through several deeper layers of spiritual awakening over the years because I have felt my ego regenerate. And this is actively sponsoring, actively, you know, in the steps, doing 10 steps and having a strong 11 step. So really being strong in 10, 11 and 12 and my ego still regenerating. Um, I have met a wonderful person over the pandemic on a Zoom meeting. And he said to me, Lisa, we have to be willing to do the extra credit things. And I, I helped, he helped me understand what these extra credit things are, you know, in step 11 in the big book, be quick to see where religious people are right, make use of what they offer. I realized I still had some chip on my shoulder, you know, a lot of um, prejudice still about religion and spirituality. And I used to say, oh, I'm spiritual. I'm not religious. I didn't realize I was judging religious people. Well, I have become religious, you know, now, and I am spiritual. Uh, I needed to do a lot of book studies, you know, make use of what they offer. I had to seek out other books. Um, and uh, just really dive more, you know, deeper, a deep, deep dive into the spiritual practice because, you know, people will still let me down, even though they're recovered, even though my husband loves me, he lets me down, fellows let me down, I let me down, the world lets me down. In many ways, I still wanted the world, I can still want the world to paint to parent me. So um, really having a solid connection to God, my creator, has helped me so much as uh, these years go by. And um it's like oxygen to me. It's not something I can cut corners. And, you know, I have to remember that our, uh, the food is the last thing to go. It's all the other stuff. And it can be very subtle and insidious. So I'm so grateful to be here and to be able to share in Bill's story. I love Bill's story. And uh, I think with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Oh, Lisa, thank you so much for your beautiful presentation. Beautiful story. Thank you so much. We will now open the meeting for questions or for three-minute shares. As this is a big book study, sharing and questions should relate specifically to the chapter and step being studied this week. We ask you to accept the guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. If you'd like to share or ask a question, please raise your virtual hand, which is under reactions or star nine if you're on the phone. And I will call the raised hands in the order that I see them and you will be asked to unmute. With the timekeeper, please set a timer for three minutes for each share and announce when the time is up. If the speaker is asked a question, please allow three minutes for the answer. Okay, quite a few hands already. Okay, Chanel. Go ahead. Thank you, Sally. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thanks for coming on our meeting and talking with us about your experience, strength and hope around Bill's story. I so appreciate you. And my question for you, since we're going into the holiday season, which is beautiful and terrifying at the same time for so many people, for so many, it's just terrifying. I get calls every day now. I don't know what to do. <laughs> people are scared. And you talked a lot about entire abstinence. When you have a newcomer you're talking to or one of your new sponsees who's going through the steps, what kind of advice do you give them around holidays like Thanksgiving? Thank you. Thank you for that question. Uh, well, the 
there's two things that come to my mind. One is that uh, it's a regular day. It's just a regular day. I know that sounds so silly to say that, but it's, you know, food can't be like a carnival experience for me in my life, in my mouth. It's, I have my abstinent food and my, for me, I weigh and I measure. Um, I know what I eat and what I don't eat. I would say um, the suggestion that worked for me was waiting until I get into the 10th step um, before going out to eat, before going on vacation. So treating it kind of like a, my home is a treatment facility. And my sponsor taught me the most important person that needs to understand who and what you are and what it means is you. And so I don't need to try and get other people to understand it. Um, and then also not trying to become adventurous and make some new, exciting new recipe. It's, it is a serious illness. And I, I hear that word now. I didn't used to hear it all the time, but I hear the term that's in the doctor's opinion, hospitalization period. And I would really encourage people, especially if they're brand new in recovery, that they're in that hospitalization period. This is life and death. I had to really explain it to my husband when I first started this, um, really what this is all about, you know, he would cut into an apple that was too big and he'd want to give me a few pieces because he couldn't eat it all. And that I was, it wasn't on my food plan. I had already eaten. The store is closed, you know, nothing new is coming in. And he couldn't believe that I was reacting that way about an apple. He's like, well, what? and it doesn't matter that he doesn't understand. I understand. Um, so I, I know that sounds maybe a little unrealistic, but that's been my experience. So I hope that helps. Thanks, Chanel. Thanks, Lisa. Hannah B. Hi, Hannah B, compulsive overeater. Um, thank you so much for your share. Um, I, uh, I really, really, really relate um, to, to what it was like and that like that fixation and image obsession and like image, you know, and that's like this, that self-obsession and just how like magnified that becomes and just rules everything. And that like, just the die hard, like codependency for me anyways, and like need for that approval. I mean, it's like such a horrible, horrific place to be, you know, and I'm so glad I have some relief. Um, I'm very aware right now of, um, I, I just got back from traveling and I'm, and now we're going into the holidays and I've got family here and, um, a lot going on. And so I'm just very aware of like being a little off schedule and not wanting to rest on my laurels. And like, now that I, I do have some relief, you know, um, in my abstinence, also very aware of like how quickly, like that, that, that obsession or that thing can come back and how, how powerless and like, it scares me. It really scares me actually. I, and I don't want to live in a place of fear. Um, but I do see the need for to be like really always innovative in my recovery, you know, and I'm just wondering if you can share what you do to keep your recovery like fresh and new um, and alive so that you don't get to that place where it becomes like mundane routine, checking off boxes or dull, do you know? Well, 
you know, for me, the most important thing, the very beginning was getting through those 12 steps and having that spiritual awakening and experiencing neutrality around food and the 10 step promises, you know, we have ceased fighting anything. And that includes the world around me, you know, not just food, but that's the world around me. Um, and then the step nine promises, which are the anti-bedevilments, you know, so if we ha if you haven't done it yet, reviewing those promises with your sponsor, your big book guide, having them show you the bedevilments on page 52, the step nine promises and the step 10 promises. Have I experienced those? Asking myself, have I experienced them? The promises are mile markers in the big book and they show us really where we are. And um, I've, I've got a page that lists uh, in one of my little PDFs that I have from an OA speaker that put together this PDF um, and it lists all the promises. And I, I think it's a great idea to review those promises. And if I'm not experiencing them, have I gone through the 12 steps in a state of entire abstinence where I've had that spiritual awakening? Now, once I have that, that makes things so much easier. I mean, it, it really, that's why we, we desperately need that. You know, I can't do this. This is not a program of self-help. It's a program of surrender and admitting I'm powerless and then going through the steps and having that experience. So then to avoid the monotony of just checking off boxes, I think that's part of being spiritually awakened is being able to be unblocked and go to my source, my God, my creator, and saying in prayer, help me, help me stay fresh with you. You know, I always pray, God, keep me sober, awake, alert, and watchful so I can pray. So I can pray. Prayer is always going to be my solution. I mean, God is the solution, but prayer is what connects me. So keep me watchful, awake and alert. A lot of times, like I kind of go to sleep and I don't even realize it. And I'm doing things, I'm doing things. And I'm not even aware of what's going on around me or even necessarily how I'm feeling. And I get racy. And then I start saying things that I regret. or I st And that's why this prayer has really been helping me. Um, God, please keep me sober, awake, alert, so I can pray. It keeps me safe and protected, but I have to have that spiritual awakening and getting recovered first, you know, and we'll know when we're recovered. We'll know. So I hope that helps. It pass. Thank you, Andrea. Hi, I'm Andrea, compulsive overeater. Lisa, thank you so much for uh, for everything you shared about the reading. I have just around eight years of, of abstinence myself, and so I I I like to hear the perspective of, of someone who has read everything like tons of times, and and you know, and this whole idea of monotony that's also come up in the questions. Um, and so thank you for that. And one of the things that, that stood out to me was the idea around your prayer around like removing, the, I don't know the exact words, but like the noise of the world. I, I, I kind of hadn't thought of that perspective before. And I, I see just how valuable that can be. It's because sometimes I think I'm the problem. I forget to ask for help with that part, you know, instead of thinking that that has something to do with, with not, you know, having the the right quote unquote spiritual connection. 
Um, but the thing that I was curious to hear your thoughts on was the the content at the top of, of page 15 uh, around um, self-sacrifice for others. And you had said um, that we, you know, we have to get uncomfortable. And I think this is a, a, like an interesting tension that exists between the fact that when we get abstinent, our life can get bigger. And then we have this like tension between doing the program and doing the do things and then also having life outside of the program. So I was just curious kind of what your thinking is on what self-sacrifice means to you. Oh, that's a great question. Well, you know, what comes to my mind is for a number of years, a long time in a vision, I was very regimented about my sponsoring and all of that. And um, I changed careers. So my everything changed. My energy level changed. I didn't have the same amount of energy, my work hours, all of that. And I, um, I can become so rigid and God was showing me or something was showing me that I, I couldn't keep sponsoring the way I was, you know, I just would sponsor always a ton of people and, and do a nice job of it. I wouldn't just try and rush them through, but I always felt like if I have two, three, four sponsees that that means I'm working a really strong program. And, and I did that for a long time and it's what I needed because it's what happened. It's what I was doing. I'm not able to sponsor like that anymore. And it could be my age. It could be my work, my whatever. So I became open to change. I allowed change to take place. And I kept asking God to show me. And also I stopped putting things in compartments. Like, well, I have my life and I have my recovery. No, everything is recovery. Everything. My relationship with my husband is about recovery. My relationship at work is about recovery because in previous jobs before recovery, I was a thief. You know, I stole time. I didn't work. Honestly, I also stole, stole from companies and I've made amends for that. But um, today it's really, I'm, I work, God is my employer. It tells me that, you know, in the big book, he is the parent. We are his child. You know, he is our, he's, I'm his agent. He is my principal. And I'm, I'm really starting to get that more and more. He is my employer. So I do pray, help me to work and what they, I'm working for you. I'm working for you, God. I want you to be happy. I want, I want you to be praised and glorified from me. Let me bear fruit. Cause this is a third step prayer. If you think about it, let me bear witness of you and your life so that I may demonstrate that. So let me bear fruit, God, so that you'll be glorified. So I want to do the best job I can at work and with sponsoring and with fellows. And um, I just became open to not being so rigid that it has to be the way I think it's supposed to be. I want it to be God's way. And I think, and you know this probably too, as we go on in time, it tells us in the big book, you know, we we can get like a, a conscious direction. We start to get in step 11 in the big book, you know, we, we will start to get direction and guidance and intuitive knowing. And I just keep praying every morning, save me from myself and from the noise of the worldly clamors that call me away from you. God is the most important relationship. 
And really, it is about that eternal life. You know, even this life here is going to be gone one day. You know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's not all about what's here and what's seen. It's the unseen that is the most powerful. And um, I just keep asking for guidance. I hope that answer helps you. <laughs> I kind of went off into a tangent, but I hope that helps you. Thank you. Thanks, Andrea. Thanks, Lisa. Lynn. Hi, everybody. Lynn S. Compulsive Reader in Toronto, Canada. Hi, Lisa. You know, there was so much here, but I cannot get rid of this image of you throwing something up high in the dumpster and you might have climbed up <laughs> to get it. Because I remember in one of the last binges I had throwing my food out. It was three o'clock in the morning and I threw it out in the front lawn so the squirrels could get it. And at 3.30 in the middle of the night, in the dark, I was trying to pick up the, the stuff. I don't remember what it was, but it wasn't it wasn't like bagels and stuff. It was smaller stuff. So I'm weeding through the grass trying to get it. And I didn't care. And I'm in my nightgown. And who cares? You know, um, thank you, God, I'm not doing that tonight. I'd rather be here listening to you. But, you know, something you said, um, and I heard it somewhere else, too, just the other day, somebody referred to it, Lisa, and you said, these are the results. I'm trying to find my notes here. But something about uh, these are the results of the solution. And I, I can't find where, where you said it and where I wrote it down, but that really struck me because when I heard it in the other meeting and, you know, we do call them the promises and stuff like that, but I just thought, you know, you do the work and you get the results. Really, it really struck me. Um, and just the other thing that you were talking about is like, it's that, it's keeping that connection alive. Like I, I was really floating and levitating with God there for the longest time. And then I got a bit more grounded in God, which is really a better place to be than, you know, floating around in the air like an angel. But got grounded with God. And then every once in a while, I can feel it slipping away. So what you were just talking about is um, deepening that and the prayers that you gave me they sort of kind of answered the question you know like how do you stay reconnected but if you've got anything else that might help when I when I can kind of feel that connection slipping a bit that would be really helpful thank you thank you Lynn um thank you so much that was on page eight where he talked about um the happiness peace usefulness way of life which becomes he talks about it becoming incredibly wonder more incredibly wonderful as time passes that is the result of the solution and you know for alcoholics that's where they drank they wanted that spiritual awakening and isn't this amazing we can have this result here as a result of the 12 steps in oa you know that solution so yes i i can really relate to that prayer and that's why you know for me um i did have a lot of physical pain when i was getting recovered because of injuries that i had from compulsive exercise and um some of it was really painful and i remember my oa sponsor saying to me once cuz she didn't know what else to say and i was just so frustrated i was recovered and i was really frustrated 
with the physical discomfort that I was in. And I keep remembering that saying in the big book, when the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. And I have found that to be so true. And I remind myself of that today when, if I have like a, um, you know, like a, I forgot what the word they use, but if an injury kind of comes back and it flares up for me, um, it's really, and it even talks about in the big book that the spiritual awakening and the spiritual work has to come even before, you know, finances. It talks about that in one of the chapters, you know, it's, it's always about the spiritual work always. So I pray God save me from myself, save me. And I remember my sponsor saying to me when I was talking about that flare up of pain, she said, have you tried going to God and not asking for anything? And this was a number a long time ago, many, many years ago. And um, I realized I hadn't been doing that. I kept going to God and asking for a whole list of things, you know, like Santa Claus. And I started going to God. That's when things really changed for me. And I just started saying, I just want to know you better. I just want to know you better for you. I want you for you. I need you and I want you for you. Not because I want to feel good, not because of this. Not, I just want you. I need you. And that's when things really started changing. So I hope that helps. Thank you. We will now stop the recording for unrecorded questions or share.